Well, good morning. I'm so thankful that you're here today. And if you're online, I'm so thankful you've joined us today. And, and um, I want to tell you just something um, that is coming up and I'm, I'm really excited about and thankful for and I've been prayerful about. We as a church, um, I've, I've really felt led to, to really deal, especially in this series, with the unity of God's people. And as I prayed through that, I've recognized a need we have as a, as a congregation to build a relationship with another congregation. And um, I've become friends with uh, Anthony Scott, who's the pastor at First Baptist North Tulsa. And on September 13th, I've asked Anthony to come and, and preach here. And then on September 20th, I'm gonna actually go preach there at First Baptist North Tulsa. It's a prominent African-American church in our community. And Anthony is an incredible leader. And, and you know, when it comes to the, the racial discussion in our world, in our, in our country, in our city, this is something that we need to be a part of some of the solutions. And so it's my prayer over the next, uh, really, it's not just gonna be a one and done, we're gonna work at ways that we can build a relationship with our congregations. And we're beginning that relationship by Anthony coming and preaching here. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And so I, I hope that you'll, you'll make September 13th a priority. And, and I really wanted to um, ask for, for, let's start praying about our part in this racial dialogue that is, um, that is growing, this, this racial tension that's growing. And, and I, I want you to recognize, too, something really important in the national conversation. You realize that Tulsa, because of the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race, massacre that happened 100 years. It's the 100th anniversary is next year. And so really, this is important for us as a church to play a, to, to, to recognize that the national spotlight is going to be on Tulsa. And so we need to approach this prayerfully and intentionally. And so I, I, I'm excited about that September 13th, and I want you to know about that. Now, um, we're in this series on the church, and, and this is a huge claim that I'm about to make. And it's, it's, it's a humongous claim, but it's, it's, I believe it's true that when it comes to the divide and the turmoil in our nation and in our world, the only hope for the world is found in the message and the mission that we are called to share. And that's a big claim. When you think about, the, let's think about the, 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 uh, the magnitude of that claim. That the only hope for the, uh, the nation and our world is in the message that we've been given. Now, now think about it. We've already looked at Matthew 16 at this moment that, that Christ, he took his disciples, he walked to Caesarea Philippi, and he stood at the gates of hell, literally at the place known as the gates of hell. Matthew 16 lays this out. Uh, we looked at it several weeks ago. That, that in that place, Jesus said, he made the announcement, I'm starting my church, 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what we are a part of here. And, and that's what we, we've got to understand that, that what we are experiencing in this moment and in, in our lives is, is not a work of man, but it's a work of God. And sometimes we, uh, we lose sight of that. The world definitely doesn't understand that because they, they look at the church as, as maybe a business. And sometimes we do the same thing. We look at the, at the church through a consumer lens that, that, oh, that church has a lot for me. Or uh, we, we, we go church shopping, if you will. And, and, and really, the, the, we need to have a different viewpoint, a different reality, because we're, we're not shopping for a church. We're called to a church. We're called to a body. And you being here this morning is part of God's work in your life, in my life. And, and, and we've got to understand that. And Wayne Grudem describes the church. Wayne Grudem, there's a book that he wrote. It's like a reference book. It's one you, I would encourage you to get. It's really thick. It's called Systematic Theology. It's really a book you ought to have in your library, but he calls the church this. He says a local church um, is, well, he said the church is, is the community of true believers for all time. That's what Wayne Grudem says. Think about this. The, the community of believers for all time. That's the church. He describes a local church as a community of baptized believers who join in covenant together to meet in a specific locality on the Lord's Day under the authority of the Bible, under the leadership of elders for the purpose of worshiping and engaging in gospel-centered ministry. And in the church, what do we do? We come together and we sing and we, we worship. We take ordinances together. We celebrate those like the Lord's Supper. We saw baptism today. It's one of our ordinances. And, 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 and you know, the church joins together for the purpose of evangelism. That's one of the things we do. And, and, you know, one of the things that's really cool and I'm grateful for, last night I get a text from a family who lives in my neighborhood, and, and they've all come to Christ. And, and, the dad said, we're, we all need to be baptized. And he listed his whole family, we're gonna be baptized. And what's cool is they live in my neighborhood, but they worship with us at the Calvary campus. And I love it. I love it that, that this whole family has come to Christ. And it's incredible. And, 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 and we're seeing evangelism take place. We're, the, the church serves the community. And, you know, you saw the video of disaster relief. I got word yesterday that, that our, like, if you look at this outside, there's a, there's a kitchen out there. It's a mobile kitchen. And that's what that disaster relief trailer is. And our disaster relief team is going to be deployed this week. And, and they're going to go to uh, St. Charles, Louisiana, and they're going to they're cook meals for thousands of people that need meals. So as a church, we serve our community, not just through disaster relief, but through the mission and, and through the, the work of our church, the daily ministries of our church. Um, we're making disciples. That's what the church does. We are a part of seeing disciples made. I, I think about follower of one and, and, and Mike Henry, who's a member of our church, who is challenging our body to, to go on a mission trip, um, like just at your work. I mean, you, you don't have to leave town. You, you just go to work, and it's on. And, but you, uh, you go on this mission trip. I, one of my prayers, and, I, and I, I feel bad, I haven't told you. But one of the things I've been praying about for our church is that this year, in 2020, that we have 100 people go on 
one of the follower of one mission trips. And so far, I think we've had about 40. So it's August, almost September. Uh, I'm praying that at least 60 more people um, go on this mission trip with follower of one. And you'll be hearing more about that. But that's part of this disciple making that we're doing. That we're raising up leaders. We're multiplying influence uh, as, we, as we serve the Lord in our community. And, and it's interesting, um, I don't want us to miss the memory verse for our, our series. Because Hebrews 10, you saw it already on, on our video. But, but I want to challenge you to, to, to memorize and meditate on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. So I want you to flip over to that real quick because I want you to see this and I don't want to lose sight of this push, of this challenge to memorize God's word. And, and, and I, I pray that you, every one of us in this congregation would take the time to memorize it. What does it say? It's the foundation for this entire series and we're going to be in this series all the way through the end of November, really. So, so you, we have that long, but let's start meditating on this. It says, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the reality is, it's my prayer that we learn the, the importance of gathering Gathering together, though some are gathering online, and we're so glad, and we understand the, the concerns, and, and there are concerns about this virus, and, and right now we need to pray for Chad Balthrop. He is not here this morning because he's with his dad. His dad is, is ill with COVID in ICU. And, and, and so when it comes to the reality of this virus, there is a reality to it. And so we've got to make sure we look through the political noise and recognize there are people among us that have been impacted. And so let's consider that as we are sharp. We have a ten tendency to be sharp about this. But when I think about the, 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 the church, we're, we're to push one another. Ephesians 5, go back to Ephesians 5, because, because I'll be honest with you, when it comes to this passage, Ephesians 5, 21 um, through 33, I, I'll be honest, I think I have used this passage it, it maybe more than any other passage in the Scriptures, because probably in most every wedding that I've preached, I've used this passage. And I've constantly looked at this passage through the lens of marriage. And, and, and that's not incorrect, necessarily. But, but this week, as I have been, and, and just over the last few months, I guess, I've been wrestling with this passage uh, with the, through the lens of the church. And it's interesting, as I've, I've wrestled with this passage, I, I've kind of come to recognize that the parable in this passage, what's a parable? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The parable of this passage is marriage. But the point of this passage is the church. 
And, and I, I don't think I've missed it in my, in my history of, of evaluating this passage, but, but, but I think I've overlooked really the point that Paul was making. Because if you look at the whole book of Ephesians, he's really talking about the church. Now, now I hope you've downloaded our new app. We've been talking about that app. And, and, and if you notice the app, you'll, you'll be able to look at that little button that says engage. And there's a, there's a little tab that says our uh, Owasso campus. And, and you'll look, you can pull up my sermon notes. And if you've done that today, you may look at that and go, wait a minute, something's messed up because Chris only has one point today. He never has one point. Uh, And I want you to know you are not seeing something incorrectly. Today, we really have one point that I want us to consider. And this one point is a, it really is a profound mystery. And the one point is this, God's design for the church is pictured in the family. Now, now let's, let's, let's consider this. Let's turn our face to Hebrews chapter 5, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Because as we go through this, I want you to have in mind that the example is marriage, but the point is the church. I want you to have that in your mind. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, there's a lot of debate in, in the Greek on does this connect with the preceding verses or does it connect with the, the following verses? And the answer to that is yes, it, it's both. Because it's this, the, all through the book of Ephesians, there's this idea of submitting to God. And when you think about the church, what are we doing here? What is, what is the purpose of our gathering together so consistently? Well, as we think about the church, the church lives in submission to Christ, right? Without apology, we are looking at God saying, Lord, you are our Lord. You are the one who leads us. And when we as, as followers of Christ, we have submitted to the voice of God in our lives. And all through the book of Ephesians, you see this over and over again, like Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, that we are called to walk with the Lord, to submit to the Lord, not to walk in our own path. That's the human response is, I'm going to follow my own way. I'm going to pull myself by my own bootstraps. I'm going to live like I want to live. But once we come to Christ, we recognize, Lord, it's your will be done, not mine. Lord, we will follow you. We will be a part of kingdom work, not my work. And what we find is the great joy of being a part of that kingdom work. And in Ephesians, it talks about this, like in the prayer that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. You see this over and over again in the book. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family on heaven and on earth derives its name. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And he writes, he goes on in that, that passage in verse 20 and 21. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. See, all through the book of Ephesians, you see Paul teaching us about the church, about submitting to Christ. My life verse is in the book of Ephesians. I, I hope you have a life verse. I have one. And you ought to consider a life verse, a verse that just that shapes your life. Ephesians 4.1 is my life verse. My dad put it on my Bible right after I was called to ministry. And I thought, well, shoot, it's on my Bible. I better, better memorize it. And when I did, it was just a work of God. Ephesians 4.1 says, I, um, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And you see, all through the scriptures, you see this example of submitting to Christ. And without apology, we are a group of people that submits to God. That's what the church does. And in our local church, let me, let me borrow from Gruden, Grudem and mix in a couple of thoughts. Our, our a local church can be defined as a community of baptized believers who join in covenant together to meet in a specific locality under the authority of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Bible and taught by the leadership of elders for the purpose of worshiping and engaging in gospel-centered ministry. And see, one of the things that marks us as a church is we submit to God. And we have discovered the joy of submitting to God, the joy of following the Lord's plan. It's like my, my sweet daughter, Maggie. I love Maggie. I, she's our youngest. And, 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 and as we were having kids, I was like, Lord, I pray for a redhead. Okay, I, I knew I had, I had a red beard. Used to, now it's gray. And uh, Robin, I'm starting my beard on September 1st. I'm so excited. And this is a good place to tell her. Um, but um, so, so I, um, now my beard's gray, but as I, was, as I was younger, I thought, man, I could possibly have a redhead, but my wife's Choctaw, and those genes tend to trump mine, okay, in every way. And so, so I remember when Maggie was born, she's a, I got a redhead. Thank you, Lord. And then there, that turned into, oh, no, I have a redhead. Oh, no. And uh, because redheads are stubborn. And I've told Maggie, hey, you know what? It's not the most talented that changed the world. It's not the smartest that changed the world. It's the most stubborn. And babe, you got a shot. You got a shot. And I can remember even as a young girl, she would sit there and, and, and I would give her a rule and she'd go, why, dad? I don't get it. Why, why, why? And you know, when she was five, I'm trying to reason with a five-year-old, which is you look really dumb reasoning with a five-year-old as an adult. But I was reasoning with my five-year-old, and I, I got on my knees, and, and I go, Maggie, do you know why I want you to do this? And she goes, why, Dad? I go, because I want your life to be miserable. And she looked at me, and she goes, no, you don't. And I go, you know what, you're right. I love you. So I have these guidelines in your life because I love you. 
You see, we as a church, we come to recognize, God, you have given us these guidelines, not for our detriment, not for our frustration, but for our joy, for our stability, for our hope. And this is why Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, you're wise. You're built on a, your life is built on a rock, right? And so, look, we've learned the joy the church submits, lives in submission to Christ. But, but look at verse 22. He goes on with this example where, where look, the, the, the parable is marriage, but the point is the church. Look at verse 22. Wives, he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, look at this, even as Christ is head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. You know, uh, of course, you know, this idea of wives submitting to husbands is pretty unpopular in this day. But, but let's understand God's plan for marriage. This is, a, this is a, an important biblical call as a wife. And it goes on. Now, for the point in verse 24, as we keep this in view, the church in view, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this is talking about a godly husband. The example is, just like the church, we submit to Christ. The example, wives, this, you should follow what the church does. And this is you know, having this order, and I want you to hear this. Having this kind of order does not mean inequality. And let's not mistake that. Because this challenge, you see the challenge of the wives and, and to, to submit to their husbands. But when I look at the, what comes next, I'm like, yowzers. That is, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Look at the next verse, what he says to husbands. Husbands. Verse 25, love your wives. Look at this. Keep the church in view. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, now you're to love, husbands, I'm still trying to wrap my head around loving this woman like Christ loved the church. Because I'll be honest with you, often, I mean, my wife's never been unlovely to me. But, but I'll tell you what, sometimes the church is unlovely to God. You know, I look at, you know, some of the challenges we deal with. And most of the challenges are with saved people. They should know better. But the reality is we, we're to love God. Husbands, you're to, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The example is Christ in the church. Think how, how much Christ has done for us. Think about this. Uh, he goes on. He says that what Christ has done in us, that he might sanctify uh, her and cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. That's what God does. He grows us. He sanctifies us. He washes us with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That God is at work. The example is the church here. I mean, the, the example is marriage, but the point is the church, that God is working in us and growing us, cleansing us, correcting us, moving in us. And what we see, and I want you to catch this, that the church is marked by mutually submissive relationships. 
that when I think about us, what's going on here, we submit to one another, don't we? There are times that, that we uh, get in each other's grill. There are times that we learn from one another. And, and, and we are benefiting in the church by these mutual, mutually submissive relationships. This is why we've got to gather together. This is why you've got to not just come to church and look at the back of someone's head. This is not like I'm attending a, a concert or a motivational speech and going and leaving and going, yeah, that was good or ah, that was okay. You know, that's not what we're doing here. The church is this mutually submissive relationships that we have. You are to know one another. You are to be known by one another. That's the church. In the same way, verse 28, it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you see that in the church, that the, 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 the work of the church is accomplished through these complementary roles that we have these roles in, in the church, that, that you have a job to do. This is why you've got, we've got work to do as, as in the church, that you have, a, you have skills and abilities and, 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 and experiences that can be used by the Lord in one another's lives. And this is the mark of our church. You see, you see the point of the, is the church has, has all these different people with all these different experiences that are used by God to accomplish his work in the world. And that's why we've got to come together and do work and serve the Lord. We're better and more complete when we submit to one another, aren't we? When we learn from one another. Isn't that better? When we learn from each other. And, and, and that's why Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is important for us. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. That, that I can't stir you up if I don't know you. You can't stir me up if you don't know me. We're to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That look, there are going to be time, all through the scripture we see this, like in, in Ecclesiastes, when, um, when someone falls and he has someone to pick him up, it's blessed. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We need one another to help through life. We're going to go through trials with our marriages, with our families, with our kids, with our jobs, with our just daily journey. And we're not meant to be alone. And this is what the church why God gave us the church. Verse 29, look at this. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. We, we are members of this body, the church. And, and, and look, it, Christ, he, he, he nourishes and cherishes it. I mean, think about that nourishment of our body, of, of our, we need that, our, the, the cherishing of, of our body. Therefore, a man shall, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The point, the example is marriage, but the point is the church. You see this accountability and support 
in every season, in every phase of life, takes place in the church. In the church, we experience accountability. And I'll be honest, I, I need accountability. You know, I learned this as an athlete. I brought my tennis, one of my tennis rackets today. This is an old one, okay? It's not new. It was in my office. And, and, and you know, when I was in college, I played tennis in college. And, and in high school, man, I, my backhand was my favorite shot. It was my weapon in my, in my tennis strategy, in, my ten, in the game that I played. I wanted someone to hit to my backhand. And I got to college, and I was doing great. And then right after, right when our season started, I could not hit a backhand in the court. And I was like, it was like my mind was absolutely blown. I was like, what in the world is happening to me? I cannot even, I either hit it in the bottom of the net or at the fence. And I, my, I was flipping out as an athlete. But I had a coach that was like, okay, Chris, let me see you hit a backhand. And how you hit a backhand is you go like this, and then you swing through, right? Low to high, like that, and then bam, you'll hit a really good backhand. You try it at home this afternoon. But you know what I did? Rather than go like this, I went like this. And I was like, and the ball was coming a little faster. I couldn't hit it in. And he's like, why are you going like this? I go, I don't know. I don't know why. He goes, don't go like that, go like that. Oh, okay. And guess what? I can hit a backhand in again. It's brilliant. You know what I needed? I needed someone outside of me to look at me and correct me. Folks, we need accountability in the church because sometimes we slip into habits that aren't right. Sometimes when we're, when we're not husbands, when you're not honoring your wife, you need somebody to notice. Wives, when you're not submitting to your husbands, you need somebody to notice. And then go, hey, what's going on? You know, I am a, I'm a pastor who am, am great, have greatly benefited from the correction of the church. You know, I'll be honest with you, it, I, was, I was in this time of ministry where things were going really well. I was preaching tons of weddings, and lots of people were being saved in my student ministry, and, and, and I was, like, getting to speak in places. I got put on some boards that were pretty cool, and, and, and I had a guy in my church that was noticing me. He was close to me, and he goes, Chris, can I come to your house? He goes, you got some time? I go, yeah, come on to my office. He goes, no, I need to come to your house. I was like, okay. And so Jay McSwain comes to my house. He sits on my couch. And he goes, hey, I wanted Robin to be here. He goes, and I, I want you to know something. Your wife is hurting, and you don't have a clue. And you're not going to have a marriage or a ministry in five years if you don't stop what you're doing. And I was sitting on my couch going, uh, I looked over at Robin, and she starts crying, and then Jay just gets up and leaves. And I was like, you punk. I mean, come to my house and make my wife cry? What are you doing? But he was right. And I wish I could say from that second I shifted. It took a few more other people, a few other people coming and saying, hey, Wall, you're, 
had another guy come to my office. We had just built this building. Chris Lowry walked into my office, and he just stood there at my door. I said, hey, man, what's up? He goes, you know, this is a really cool place. He goes, you know what? If, uh, if you got killed, in six months, someone else would be in this office. But Emily, Eric, Maggie, and Robin would be impacted forever. You ought to think about that. And then he walked out. I was like, who needs these kind of friends? I did. Proverbs, what does it say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And let me tell you something. If you don't have people in your life that are willing to wound you, then you need to reconsider the path that you're on and recognize that God's given you the church to not only hold you accountable, but look at that, to nourish you. And you know what I found? That that kind of confrontation nourished me. Because I took a step back and I realized that if you look at our family albums, there's a period of pictures where I am not there. But I got there. And I looked at this woman and asked for forgiveness. And, I, and it wasn't just words. I changed with my actions. So I want us to recognize that in the church, there are deep relationships that nourish our lives, nourishes us. And, and look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the profound mystery that God has given us, this gathering together to nourish us, to confront us, to help us. And then verse 33 ends. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband, which is a beautiful challenge and a right thing to do. But let's not miss the point as the church that the supernatural togetherness of the church makes an impact in this life and the next. And so I want us to recognize this humongous claim that what we are doing here is a work of God, not a work of man. And it's time to, to, to make sure that the, the thing this season has, has, has helped us do, it's helped us recognize the importance of gathering, the importance of being together. And this is why we must not overlook what God is doing among us, that this is a work of God, not a work of man. That in this, in this body, in this church, are relationships that, are, that we're called to. This is not a business. This is not um, an organization. This is a body set apart by God with roles and purposes to be in a community, to, to share the gospel, to, to, to grow disciples, to, to serve the world. 
so that the, wor- that the world sees that Jesus is who he said he is. So folks, I gotta ask you, are you known in this place? Are you known? Are you knowing others? This is why Brad is so focused, and all of our age-level groups are so focused on, on building these communities that are smaller than just this room. This is why we're busting our tail on Zoom and trying to stay connected and, and trying to be in life together and trying to help one another. This is why Ricuccio and these men's groups have Bible studies that are, that are all throughout the week and, and women's lead leaders have Bible studies that are all throughout the week. And, and this is the reason why, why I'm meeting with Nate and Vance on Fridays and, and we're, we're, we're knowing one another, we're being known. Is that you? Is that you? Can you look at your life and, and is this something that you just feel like this is just social club? This is not social hour for us. It's the work of God. Are you pushing others to the Lord? Are you being pushed to walk with the Lord? See, that's how you can tell the church is right. We're without apology pushing one another like like. Hebrews 10 says we're spurring one another on towards love and and good deeds. We're provoking one another towards love and good deeds. Folks, God is at work in this. And though I appreciate the day that we can be online and we can connect in this way, and I'm learning, we're learning how to connect in a digital platform. And I think there's some value in that. But, but I gotta tell you, there's, it's important that we are known and are being known. That we are pushed and are being, we are pushing and we are being pushed. Recognize what God is doing in the church. I'm grateful that this week God has moved me to this passage, to this moment. So now here's what we're going to do for an invitation. Even if you're online, as soon as I pray, we're going to give you a chance to respond. And, and what I want you to, how I want us to all respond today, both in the room and in our digital platforms, is that Let's evaluate today. Let's do some inspection today, some introspection today. And let's let's look into our lives at somebody that has pushed you. And let's go to the Lord and thank them for that. Let's consider who it is that you're pushing and let's go to the Lord and thank him for that. And if you are not, if you can't identify those in this body, then the movement today is to make a change. Because God didn't bring us here to leave us where we were when we walked in the door. That's not how his word works. His word moves us to change. And man, I'm thankful. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We ask that you would move us today, even 
people in their living rooms, people in this room. Lord, move us. We need the church. Help us understand this profound mystery that you are at work in us and through us. So, Lord, may we be in step with you today. Correct us, Lord. Confront us. Nourish us. Empower us. Lord, we want to be your church in this place. We want to be in the middle of your will, submitting to you day by day. Lord, help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.